This is Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn practical strategies to drive consistent and predictable growth. In this episode, Pasha Irshad shares a three-step framework he uses to help B2B companies drive growth and get better visibility into what's working and what's not. You'll learn how he uses the jobs-to-be-done model to do more customer-centric marketing, his view on having data-driven RevOps, making sure you have the data you need in order to make predictable decisions that affect revenue, and how he advocates for agile demand gen, allowing data and customer insights to make an informed change in a rapid motion after you realize something isn't working. I hope you enjoy it. All right, Pasha, thank you so much for coming on Metrics and Chill. Um, thanks for, I know we went back and forth and rescheduled a couple of times, so thanks for being flexible. Um, excited to chat with you today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Um, Longtime Databox customer, so happy to chat with you guys. Sweet. Um, okay, so for listeners, we're going to be talking about a framework to help drive predictable growth that you titled the SaaS, SaaS Growth Triad. Um, this is something you used at Shape and Scale. Um, you've been, it looks like basically brought together 15 years of expertise and put this framework together. Um, can you give like, give listeners like the, you know, two or three minute summary of what this framework is and what it's meant to do? Yeah. So I'm Pasha Irshad, like you said, co-founder of Shape and Scale. Um, I have had 15 years in the agency world working mainly with B2B and some B2C. Um, in the last year running my own business, I think as I've been or as we've been kind of figuring out where we sit and how we really help our customers. And I've talked to probably, I don't know, at least 50 founders over that year, um, some clients, some not. Really, I've tried to identify a set of solutions that will help at really any stage of growth, right? So you have founder-led sales, you have, you know, 1 million to 10 million in ARR, and then up. And we do work all the way up to enterprise. Um, while the name of it in the SaaS growth triad is up for debate, I think there's three areas that I've um, really realized that drive the most value for our clients. The first is, seems simple and it seems very cliche, but customer-centric marketing. And really the way that we base that is jobs to be done theory, really understanding why your clients or your customers are using your product, right? Um, it, again, it's very cliche. If you're on LinkedIn, people are going to talk about this all the time, but I still, there's so many founders that don't talk to their customers, right? So like when you're in that when you're in founder-led sales, you want to do the things that don't scale, right, at that time. And one of those is getting to intimately know why your customers bought your product, um, why they're using it, how they use it in your in their day, because so much of that informs a lot of these, you know, downstream motions. So really customer-centric marketing is just being aware of the reason, right, that you are... Um, in the business and that's not forgetting your customers and i still think there's so many startups and businesses out there that tend to lose sight of that the second one is obviously um, close to my heart in terms of data data driven rev ops now rev ops um, and i am a seven-year hubspot solutions partner um you know rev ops means a lot of different things to a lot of different people but what i would say is again the RevOps philosophy is simple. It's to me, it's two things, right? One, it's making sure that you have the data that you need to make predictable decisions that can affect revenue. And that can affect 
anything across the board, right? It can affect hiring, it can affect comp plans, it can affect um, the KPIs that you measure by. Um, it really centers on, you know, there's three types of metrics that matter for SaaS, which is volume, number, right? Number of MQLs. It's going to be, um, you know, conversion. So what is the percentage of people moving from one stage to the next? Um, and then the third one being, um, so we've got conversion volume and then time-based, right? And that's how long does it take to do something? I read a really great post today on LinkedIn uh, by, yeah, I'm, I'm going to mess your name up a little bit. I believe it was Anastasia, but, you know, she, she basically said that, you know, RevOps under at like a, a founder like company doesn't make a ton of sense. Right. But there are philosophies that you can put in place that help you set up a foundation um, to get the downstream effects that you need. And when I think about downstream effects is, if you just simply set up your sales pipeline, then you will at some point be able to go back and say like, hey, I can see how those people move through those stages, right? And that gives you the data. And so I think it's like setting up that philosophy. Um, the third one is agile demand generation. And so really by that, I mean, I see a lot of companies and we see a lot of companies that are, um, that just... <laughs> they'll take, you know, two, three, four months to move on an initiative. And I think with obviously younger startups and younger companies, putting in place, building on the two things I talked about, right? Talking to your customers, building on that RevOps philosophy, making sure that you are able to iterate on the data that you're getting and the feedback that you're getting from your customers and infusing that into your marketing. And I think those three things together form a really solid baseline for any company to go to market um, and be successful. And what we all know is a very, very condensed timeline for success. Yeah. Okay. I love this. Um, I want to start with the first one, customer-centric marketing. So let's dig into this one a little bit. You mentioned the jobs to be done framework. So effect, like, is this effectively for if there's some you know, uh, founders listening, this is like, or, or early stage company marketers listening, this is getting on the phone with customers, um, listening to sales calls, talking to them, interviewing them to learn what are the jobs that they're hiring your company to do effectively. Yeah. And I mean, there's, again, there's a cliche around jobs to be done theories that you don't hire um, a drill, you hire the hole in the wall, right? And there's some, um, <laughs> there's some back and forth if that's truly accurate. But in terms of jobs to be done, it is like a theory and framework that you work together with your customer um, and you create job stories or, um, you know, stories around why that person is using it. What's the emotional reason for using it? What's the rational reason for using it? So there's different reasoning um, that is around um, kind of jobs to be done. And so it's it's really a framework that you can put in place to have these conversations with your customers. More so than that, yeah, like listening to your sales calls, obviously like um, HubSpot, conversational intelligence. There's also, there's a lot of other tools out there that you can use um, and just talking to them, right? Like it's it's something I do at, you know, at my current consultancy, like I'm starting to put in place a way to ask the CMO, like, hey, why did you hire me, right? Like, what were you facing? Like, what led you to choose me? Why do you like to keep working with me? Um, 
past jobs to be done, which can be a little bit complex, just getting these questions um, answered gives you, I think, a leg up on your competition because you deeply understand why the why behind someone's using your product. Yeah. Yeah. Now for listeners, like, are you taking these insights and then what are you doing with them? How are they impacting your business? Like if you encourage founders to do this, are they overhauling messaging on the website? Is this dictating the go-to-market messaging they take in their demand gen movement? Like how, what are they doing with these insights? That's going to change what they were doing before they did the, the, the calls. Yeah. Uh, I think that's pretty, that's pretty easy. I mean, one thing is using that. I mean, when we do this, if we're running any type of demand generation campaigns, like let's say we're running things on LinkedIn, we're using that customer copy. I can think of a couple of clients that talk to their customers, listen to the sales calls, and then use that copy directly in their advertising um, to see, you know, if that resonates, it can guide product decisions, right? Like if, if you think about a product like growth company um, and you think about like time to value, right? Like, and you think about what, you know, where they find the most value in your product, being able to understand that can help guide the mechanisms behind maybe sales assisted PLG, right? Like if you talk to 10 of your customers using your product and they're like, Hey, the one thing we love about it is, I don't know um, how easy it, how easy it is to, stand up a banner, right? For like conversion testing. Then you've got insight and data into how you might want to structure like outreach past that, right? If you have product data in, you know, if you can get data product analytics that says, hey, John or Jane just used this banner, that might be the time where you send a prompt to somebody from sales to perhaps reach out, right? Mm-hmm. Or some type of, it doesn't even have to be sales. It could just be like a customer success engineer that says like, hey, we just saw you use this. These little inflection points are, I still see too many companies using it as guesswork. So I think to reiterate what I just said, yeah, using it in messaging, using it on the website, um, any customer facing conversations could be your own social posts. I think also being able to use it in the product, um, depending on what your motion is, like I said, if it's product led or if it's just simply, you know, an enterprise sale, even like that can help drive sales enablement materials. So I think there's a lot that can be done there. And I would say my my customers use it in all kinds of different ways. Do you find, you know, when you do this, that is there ever like a such a diversity of jobs to be done that they're coming for that it's hard to pin down? Or are you usually able to kind of like find one or two that float to the top? And it's like, oh yeah, this is the main job. To be. Like, you know, like I'm thinking of like a product like Databox. There's probably a lot of different use cases for it. We have a wide variety of companies using the product, but there's probably going to be one or two jobs to be done that float to the top. So how do you think about like sorting through all of that? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's pretty simple. Um, I'm probably thinking about situation, motivation, and expected outcome. So like we talked about before we got on the podcast, like when I first started using Databox, I don't know, seven years ago, the situation that I was in was I was having to do so much manual reporting that was driving me insane. Right. Um, And I wanted to have like a clear, concise way to deliver metrics and KPIs and communicate success to my client so I could look good at what I was doing. And I think if you just condense it into that as like a kind of a job story, which is what I was trying to convey earlier, 
um, then it is actually very simple and crystallized, right? Like, and so if you have multiple personas, you can crystallize kind of those outcomes, but you don't want to really, I mean, you can take a crack at it yourself, but to hear it from your customer, especially your best customers, your most engaged customers, I think is like a superpower for companies. Yeah. Uh, this is, I've got to ask you this. It's, it's kind of a side tangent nerdy, but, but uh passion area of mine. I'm curious what you think about this in the example you just gave are when you think about uh, taking these insights and applying it to, you know, website messaging, for example, or ad copy, I see companies go on different sides of this. Like in the example you just gave, you could take the value direction. So you could lead, you know, like kind of like your, your primary headline, right. Might be something like, look, look good in front of your customers, you know, and, and keep it all together. Or there's like the description. It's like, a tool that makes it easy, you know, to put your reporting on autopilot, right? Those are two kind of different, like both are getting at the job to be done. I'm just curious for fun, how you think about translating it into messaging and whether, whether you lean into value, whether you do both, like combine the two or. Well, I mean, I think what's interesting is you just talked about an emotional, right. And irrational. So like rationally, like I need a tool to like help me do my job better emotionally. I want to look good in front of my boss. I want to look good in front of my clients. And I think that probably that latter speaks more to the value. Um, I mean, that is where I think, I mean, I don't want to go deeper into it, but like I use, I usually use a tool like winter to test that message across my audience to see what resonates more. Right. Again, that allows them, you know, to, this is something we preach to our clients. It's like getting as much feedback from either your current customers or a pool of, you know, a cohort of people that are just like your customers usually can answer that question. But um, I would say for myself, I wouldn't probably lean towards the emotional, right? Like I would lean towards the, emotional makeup of that decision. So more value-based. Okay. Yeah. Just I curious. just think human, because humans purchase off emotion, right? Like, right. Even when it comes to like simple things, like when you, when you buy a car, I mean, sure there's like a rational decision behind it. Like, Hey, this is like great gas mileage, but you also want something that looks good. Hey, just a quick interruption in past episodes, you've heard guests give advice like, the first step is just like actually measuring and monitoring, right? Which sounds very fundamental, but a lot of companies don't even do that, right? If you ask for like, hey, do you have a monthly kind of report of like what's happening in the funnel? It's like, oh, well, we have this over here and we have this over here and we have the traffic data and GA. So the first thing I think is like build out, you know, a presentation uh, that you're updating every single month. Or it's way easier if you have all this stuff being centralized somewhere and can look at it. And I promise that's completely unprompted. We try to book smart B2B leaders and learn how they're driving more predictable growth. And they end up sharing advice like that. And Databox makes it easy to do all of that and more. You can track your marketing, sales, revenue, and CS performance all in one place. It lets you build custom dashboards and view metrics from over 80 tools side by side. You can schedule PDF reports that automatically update your data in real time and send to your team or your clients. You can even set up custom Slack alerts that alert you when you hit your goals or when numbers spike or dip. If you want to try it totally free, just go to databox.com or click the link in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode. 
it's not right. rational so right yeah it's true like you're still picking the color you want or the features you want it like, yeah. both get you from point a to point b um, exactly yeah in the past i've tried to combine both and thought about them distinctly like i've thought about like leading you know maybe the emotional one leading in the headline to grab attention and then supporting it with the technical yeah. um description you know or the or i guess in this case the job to be done or the value um my last question on this is is there any advice you have for you know we've had a number of people come on the podcast and talk about kind of talking to customers uh, to overhaul and improve go-to-market messaging to attract more of those best customers. Um, I'm curious that you raised another use case and just do you have any advice around taking those insights and you had mentioned future product improvements. So it seems like the advantage of this is you're able to kind of hone in, maybe dig through your CRM and find who your historically best customers have been, conduct mm -hmm. these interviews what are you asking? What are you taking away of like, you're finding out the jobs to be done that they're using the product that they've hired your product for, but what are some other ways they can get it like future jobs to be done that you could solve for them or add to that? Like, can you talk a little bit about that? That's something we haven't covered much on the show. Yeah. I mean, I think one way, and again, I'm a little bit out of my lane here because I'm not a product marketer, but I do think like in terms of customer conversations, it, it's as simple as just saying like, you know, if there's anything that could be improved upon in terms of like an open-ended question, like what would that be? Or is there any friction currently that you see? Um, I mean, I would do the same thing when I'm, you know, I'm a service-based company. Um, but when I do talk to customers, I do try to elicit like, hey, if there's one thing I could improve on, like, what would that be? Could be delivery, right? It could be the way I present reporting, it could be, you know, communications like, hey, we prefer like, um, you know, something like Slack as opposed to email. I think just like open-ended questions that are going to, you know, get you, again, get you insight that you can use, but especially when it comes to a product, you don't want to take every feature that people request and like put it right. on the map, right? Like that's right, a yeah. recipe for disaster. So um, I would just say, like, I usually try to use open-ended questions to figure out, like, what they might want to improve on. And I mean, I think you see, like, a lot of apps nowadays um, will literally throw their product roadmap out there in a Kanban-style board and, you know, allow people to vote on it. So, and then they they give the decision behind it. Yeah. Um, so that's probably what I would say. Yeah, I think I read I read at some point that the founders of Basecamp do very similar like people will request specific features and they're like hold on pump the brakes like what problem are you trying to solve you know like what are you trying to get at with this before and then they'll they'll consider like the job or the problem that the customer wants solved and then they'll think like first of all is there a way to do it with the existing product or what's the best way because it's too easy to like take those customer requests as they come in as like, oh, this is a feature request. Let's go ship it. Oh um, yeah. So that, yeah. Yeah. I, that would definitely be a recipe for disaster. I, I use an app called Macro Factor for like, just like, you know, nutrition tracking. And I think they do a really good job of like, you know, publicizing their roadmap, what they're doing, why they're doing it, why they're not doing it. And I think that is like, I think that just like transparency is like huge for a user base. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's just data. I know we used a, an app for a while called Typefully to schedule tweets for the brand. Yep. Um, and they were the same way. I mean, Databox is similar. Like we have a public roadmap and the upvoting functionality is like, well, yeah, 
you know that people want this the most. Like it's it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. So yep. um, all right, awesome. The second pillar. So, so, you know, assuming, you know, founders or marketing, marketing teams have done step number one, they've got an idea of this. The second pillar to look at here is this data-driven rev ops. You mentioned three types of numbers, volume, conversion, time-based numbers that they should be tracking. Um, I've found in talking to people, this is like an area where it's easy for people to get overwhelmed and either like analysis paralysis or like, I think part of the challenge is they use this suite of tools and then the suite of tools like presents them with dozens of metrics because the tools are obviously going to present you anything that they can track. Yeah. Um, what are some ways like how can, you know, what's a framework? What are a couple like easy metrics to start with? If someone isn't tracking anything right now, how should they go through the volume conversion time-based thing and pick out maybe just a couple to start with that's uh, low-hanging yeah. fruit? I mean, I can talk about that from at least a HubSpot perspective, right? And if I think about one of my clients, uh, it's pretty simple, right? Like they're an enterprise client, so they have a longer sales cycle. But before any of that, we kind of sit down with them and just understand like what is most important to them in terms of the goals and objectives that they're trying to achieve, right? So if they are trying to increase revenue, right, from existing customers, then we are going to be more concerned with perhaps the, um, you know, what's their renewal rate, right? Like, if they are more concerned with increasing top of funnel, then we're going to be more, you know, we're going to worry about the number of MQLs, right? If they are, you know, trying to increase velocity, Right. Then we're going to be more concerned with how can we, you know, move opportunities quicker to closed one. And so, like, if we frame their goals and objectives in in that way, in something like a HubSpot, then the work that needs to get done is, well, one, do we have the right automations in place to move somebody from an MQL to an SQL so the sales rep doesn't have to and we don't lose that data? Um, do we have the right pipeline in place for the renewal process, right? Because that's not something that's built out of the box. Um, and then, you know, do we have, do we have to create new reporting, right? Or can we just go to sales analytics and HubSpot, which shows you, which most people don't even know, you can see like, um, you know, how long time the sale is. And so with that in hand, you're able to put in place like those guardrails around the data that needs to be collected um, and really asking like why we're tracking this and then what we're going to do with the data, right? So it's like we put in the framework to get the data. We ask ourselves why we need this data. And then we have some type of plan to say like, well, once we have this data, what are we going to do to improve on it? So I think those three things really help our clients um, like my biggest thing with HubSpot is maximizing the value of the platform, right? Like whenever I go in and do an audit, if everybody's got like professional hub or enterprise hub, I mean, there's usually like 30, there's like 30% being totally used, right? Like right. when it comes to lead scoring, like most people don't know that you can have multiple lead score properties in HubSpot. Um, why aren't you using all of them, right? Like, why do you have everything contained in one property? So it's just, it's things like that, I think that contribute to, um, you know, contribute to what I would just call like attrition, 
when it comes to getting the most out of out of something like your CRM. What do you think are the mistakes most early stage companies make when it comes to metrics in general and like tracking data? Is it analysis paralysis that they're tracking too much? Is it they're not tracking anything? Like where do you see them go wrong? Foundations, right? It's like not having the right foundation. I mean, not understanding what, again, kind of like what I talked about, right? Not having a framework in place to understand what you're tracking, why you're tracking it, and then what you're going to do once you have it. Um, And so that can play itself out in a myriad of ways, right? Like I've gone into accounts that don't properly track any type of conversions, right? Like don't have, and this is just from an advertising perspective, but you know, they don't have conversion tracking set up properly. So then that means that they're not able to get a sense of like, you know, return on ad spend, Um, not understanding the cost of you know, customer acquisition is a big one or like CAC payback period. Like a lot of times companies don't even have that, you know, kind of, again, I don't want to call it framework, but they just don't, they don't know what they don't know. And so I think um, making sure they have a like a framework of a relevant metrics that map to their North Star is very important. And so that's probably one of the biggest things I see just like baseline, not, not having those foundational things that make you successful. Okay. Yeah. It makes sense. Like you're identifying your North star. What's like the big number or two that you're trying to move. And then what are the metrics that, like you said, I like this, I like this simple framework of like, what are you tracking? Why are you tracking it? And once you know it, what actions are you going to take? It feels like if you can't answer that third one, Maybe that's a good filter oh, for like, it's not that I'm going to use, yeah, I'll use a sports analogy. Um, like if you look at the NFL, right? Like most, there's not like a big difference in the, like every team is talented, right? But like the teams that win consistently do the little things correctly, right? They don't have, you know, pre, they don't have pre-snap penalties. Um, like Sean Payton's going into the Broncos and this big thing is cleaning that up because they were 29th in the league. Most companies today, like there's not a lot of product differentiation, right? Like people ship features very quickly. So if you are, if you, if you're not in the place to have the right metrics to make decisions, which feeds into the agile agile demand generation piece, you're just doing yourself a disservice, right? Because I truly feel like most companies, when you look at their products, there's not like a lot of difference between them, right? So there's the brand piece, which story for another day, but then the small things that you can do, like making sure you have the systems in place like a HubSpot or Google Analytics for, or LinkedIn conversion tracking, and just making sure like all those things are tracking what you needed to do, understand why you're tracking it, and then have a, a system in place to make those changes, then you're going to be behind the eight ball. And I think like, Again, at a SaaS, at a company that's, you know, founder-led, like you, you said this earlier, you don't want to over-process-size things, right? Like put in too many processes where it becomes cumbersome. But I think people just don't understand how important data is, right? Like how important data is to like being successful. Um, that is a huge gap in the market. Yeah, I think there's a big... I know I see a lot of articulation of like, there's a sentiment of we know data is important, but aren't exactly sure 
how it should impact day to day. You know, like how do you like actually use it to make decisions, you know, about who you're going to hire, when you're going to hire, what marketing programs you're going to invest in, what you're not. So I think what you're laying out here is really helpful um, to define some things that are going to help make those decisions a little bit clearer. Um, all right, cool. Let's touch on the third pillar. You said it kind of blends right into this, the agile demand generations. To me, it's using the levers from one and two customer insights and data to make impactful decisions. Right. And that doesn't mean make decisions like really quickly and abruptly. Um, it means have giving your demand generation team and your marketing team understanding that they have customer insights and data. Um, just allowing them to be able to implement those in their campaigns in a way that there's not so much oversight that it becomes constricting, right? So there's like some type of freedom there to pivot if something's not working, right? Like if you're running one channel, again, I think it's more if you're running one channel and you've ran it for a while and you see that's not working, being able to just pivot out of that and try something new and understand that it's going to take a little bit of time. The agility doesn't come from like, hey, we're gonna do this for like two months. The agility comes in um, allowing data and customer insights to make a change, make an informed change in a rapid motion after you realize something isn't working. I think it's as simple as that, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on uh, I mean, obviously it's somewhat channel dependent. There, well, there is, there, so, you know, I just, there is one more piece of that from a technology perspective, right? There's companies that I'll work with where like, they still don't even have a CMS, right? Like they have, there's like two or three or four companies I've worked with in the last year where we had to use Instapage because we just needed to be able to stand up landing pages quickly. Right. So um where we couldn't get anything up on the website. Like for a startup, that should never happen. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a huge reason. Again, I'm a HubSpot partner, but again, you need to have, if you're running Google advertising, you want to be agile in the manner that like, hey, if we need to stand up new landing pages to test to improve like CAC or not CAC, just to re- improve return on ad spend, you should be able to do that. But like, I can tell you from working in some headless CMSs over the years, even working in WordPress and then working with, you know, like, companies that don't even use a CMS, like it's just not something that they're able to do. Right. And so I think there's an, there's an agility in decision-making and then there's an agility in um, execution. And I, I think those are the two things I'm really alluding to. Okay. Okay. Do you have any thoughts? I was going to say it's, it's probably program specific or channel dependent, but um when something, how listeners can know when something maybe isn't working versus it needs more time. That feels like a constant tension point. Yeah. I mean, it's very, it's, I think it's very dependent on how you're selling and what you're selling, right? Like something with a high ACV, that's like more of like a six to nine to 12 month sales cycle is going to require more time, right? But that comes from number two and like understanding the data that you've got. Um, I would say, again, for something like a lower ACV, that's like three or 4K. Well, then, you know, your sales cycle is probably going to be closer to 45 days. Right. Um, I think based upon that, if you start running a campaign um, six months and 45 days, let's just take those two things are going to be very different in the way that you gauge success. Right. Like you should 
really after Q1 on both have some type of insight into how people are progressing if you have the right data to make the decisions, right? Right. <laughs> so yeah. I think it's, I think that's why I kind of came up with, you know, we've been experimenting with the triad. It's just because it all works together in concert. And I think it's a, I mean, I, I think my, my answer is really in the data. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. This has been, uh, this has been really cool. Um, I love the framework. I think it's super helpful. Like I said, especially the data component, I think a, a framework for being able to help listeners pick out what they should be tracking, the importance of it and being able to tie it back to that North star metric. Um, all right, let's wrap up with, I've got a few, three, uh, lightning round questions, short questions, short answers, however you want to answer them, completely open-ended. Um, three desert island metrics that you would track if you could only pick three. And you can answer this either for yourself or for clients. I know yeah, you're, I, you're a bit different because you've got clients. So, Yeah. Um, I mean, okay. So customer acquisition cost, pipeline velocity, and... <clears throat> opportunity to close. Awesome. I'll stick with that. Yeah. Okay. Love it. Uh, okay. Finish the sentence. Data is. Data is the new oil. I heard someone, someone else said that, uh, a I couple didn't come up with ago. that. It's probably been said a hundred times, but I, it's, it's true. You know, <laughs> your number one tip for B2B leaders trying to drive predictable performance, if you could only pass on one piece of advice to them. Just focus on visibility. Um, I think for, yeah, focus on visibility. Do everything in your power to get the visibility into what's working and what's not. It's the number one problem that I solve for clients. You know, I got I talked to a CMO yesterday. They just want to be able to prove that marketing is affecting revenue. I hear that every day. And to me, that is, once you have visibility, um, visibility is power. Okay. Love it. Awesome. Pasha, thank you so much for coming on. It was a great uh, conversation. Where can people, if they're interested in working with you, who are you kind of best for? Maybe like give your, give it, give an elevator pitch for shape and scale and where can they find you? Yeah, so Shape and Scale helps orchestrate growth for B2B SaaS and technology companies, um, anywhere from founder-led all the way up to, I would say, Series B. Um, we focus on technology PR, revenue operations with expertise in HubSpot, and then demand generation. Um, you can find me at shapeandscale.co or LinkedIn, which is where I spend most of my time. Awesome. <laughs> Unnecessary evil. Um, we'll link to uh, Pasha's LinkedIn. If you want to go follow him there, we'll link to Shape and Scale in the show notes. So uh, open up your cool. podcast app and and give him a give him a follow. All right. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.